When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. From the center of the hockey universe, this is the Off the Post podcast. So, Rob Volman, here we are again trying to do a podcast. It is our third attempt in the last two weeks, and I take full blame uh, technical issues, uh, space head issues. Uh, there's There's been a lot going on uh, behind the scenes that hasn't worked out, but... We're here for a third time, and it's a new week, better vibes, everything's going to work out, and we're going to put out a, a nice episode here. What do you think? I think the pressure's on, because uh, you know I think we did a great job with our second attempt. Like That was one of my best podcasts in a long time. It was so much fun, a lot of great topics. I thought it was great. And then just the other night, I was on a different podcast, and I absolutely stunk. So <laughs> I think... You know, I don't know how this is going to go, but uh, we'll, we'll try to recreate the magic from last week. Oh yeah, we will. Okay, so Rob, you are you are a a strong voice in the hockey analytics community, uh, and by strong, I mean educated, I mean thoughtful, not strong as a strong, you know, stiff arming guys out of the way or saying you know old school guys suck. I think you're a measured guy. And someone that's very well respected in in the mainstream and also uh, on the blogs and on Twitter, uh, you bring a lot to the table as an analyst. And one of the main things that you do is produce Hockey Abstract. And uh, you recently released the fourth version of it or the fourth print version. And uh, let's talk about that first. And then we will get to some fun stuff such as uh, breakout candidates for, for this coming season. Training camp starts tomorrow. We're recording this on Wednesday. Um, and uh, let, we'll talk about some cool topics in your book. So uh, without further ado, why don't you just tell people about Hockey Abstract and, and why you do it and what is inside? Well, uh, yeah, well, the book is fun stuff, too. So uh, <laughs> it's not something we just need to get out of the way. It's fun stuff, too. Of course, so of course. I'm actually really excited about this year's edition because it's not just another edition of Hockey Abstract. It's not just, oh, I've got the other, so I don't really need this one. Um, there's a lot of exciting things about this particular edition of Hockey Abstract. For instance, I'm excited about the fact that it's in French for the first time. Really excited about that. I'm also excited about applying some of the analysis to the Vegas Golden Knights. I mean, I think it's the ultimate test of the player usage chart to apply it to a team that has never played together. And, and that's really interesting insights in the book on that front. And furthermore, instead of just writing it uh, with my usual friends, Tom Awad and Ian Fife, who are brilliant, uh, we've got Tom back. Ian couldn't make it, but I've opened it up. i got a lot of really great new authors, including one of my favorites, Matt Kane, and uh, a couple of students. We had a student paper competition at the, uh, the Ottawa conference at Carleton University, and we have the, the grad winner. His name is Helmet. He wrote something on artificial intelligence, which is brilliant. And the undergrad winner was Jeremy Sylvain, who works... Uh, uh, with Michael Shuckers at St. Lawrence University, and he wrote something on how to predict injuries. So that's what students are working on. That's where the cutting edge is. 
there's a lot of really, really exciting things in, uh, in this book. Uh, if you've never read Hockey Abstract before, the whole idea is uh, the old Bill James baseball abstract. Uh, I know that's, you know, that, that's my target. I'm, I'm not claiming to have hit it, but my target is to get the old Bill James baseball abstract and help complete the picture for everybody who's used to getting, you know, TSN and Sportsnet and Bob McKenzie and all that great coverage. And now you can just plug in. You can just like attach and plug in like a little USB stick. You can just plug in Hockey Abstract 2017 into your knowledge base. And that completes the picture for you. That gets you all the numbers. That gets you, you know, how they fit in and, and, and how they, you know, the perspective of the statistical analysis and how that fits in to what you've already seen and see every day on Sportsnet and CSN. Well, it's 300 pages, but it's a digestible 300 pages. Uh, me reading it, you, you know, time sort of flies by because you get sucked into these topics and it's not too heavy on stats jargon. It's, it's, it's relatable. Uh, it's practical. It's welcoming, really, is, is the way to put it. And uh, that's a credit to you and, and to the other authors because um, I'll be honest, even though I'm into hockey analytics, sometimes I'm reading something and I'm interested and I completely get disinterested uh, because the author is, is not dumbing it down enough, as, as for lack of a better term. Well, I'm glad I hit that target because that, has, that is the intention. I mean, I designed the book to physically look like Bill James's book. So that should already, I think, start to condition us to expect to have some fun. Um, but when you pick it up, I mean, it is 300 pages. It does, I mean, to if you just first time you look at it, it does look a little bit like homework. But once you flip it open, you'll see there's lots of tables, there's lots of charts, there's cartoons, there's examples, there's stories. We have a lot of fun in this book. It's not a textbook. It's not homework. It's not dry. It's, it's actually not even a, a stats book. It's not even a stats book. It's a hockey book, and we use stats. But first and foremost, it's an entertaining book about hockey, and stats is nearly sort of what we use to explore hockey. And and uh, I think that is pretty obvious once you start, uh, you know, digging into it, because it's the sort of book you can pretty much dive into anywhere, right? Yeah, and you, you mentioned earlier it's about completing the picture. Uh, you're not claiming that this is uh, the be-all, end-all, or... Uh, uh, you know, a, a publication that, that people should only read and not pay attention to other media or other services, right? So I, I transition that in, into one of, of the, the chapters. Uh, it's about NHL translation factors, which is a fancy way of saying, how do we convert junior and pro numbers, pro that isn't NHL, into NHL numbers? So, for example, with Nico Hischer and Nolan Patrick, these are two guys who have been covered, uh, you know, you know everything about them. You know you know their birthday, you know uh, how many injuries Nolan Patrick's endured, you know that Nico Hischer uh, comes from Switzerland and is this exciting new player on the Devils who is probably going to get a good chance uh, now that Travis Ajak isn't starting the season. So you have all this context except for maybe some of the statistical knowledge and that's where the translation factors come in because you start looking it up through this chapter and and you see that not every league is created equal and just because a guy gets let's say 100 points in the QMJHL doesn't mean he's necessarily going to put up points in the NHL uh and it works the other way too uh if you're in college and and you're not putting up great numbers it might not mean that you're not a good offensive player it's a different league different variables older players more defensive there's a a bunch of factors going into it, but uh, these translation 
uh, numbers that that are shot out uh, kind of give you um, a historical context to to what to expect from a player statistically. Yes, I've learned a lot uh, working with translation factors going all the way back to um, 2004. They were introduced a long time ago, back in 2004. There was only a few of us in the field at the time, and Gabriel Desjardins kind of took uh, translation factors, which uh, Bill James did in baseball, in baseball abstract, right? And uh, we started applying it to hockey, and I've learned a lot uh, about um, what you can do with a player's hockey stats prior to the NHL. And, uh, you know, for instance, just some of the findings that I've discovered is when you're looking at a junior prospect or a college prospect, the key is to look at what age they broke out. And not just the year, not just like if they were 16 or 17 or 18, but even down to the month. Like even the change of a few months can actually have a, a pretty significant impact on their scoring totals. So you got to take that into account. And the other thing you mentioned as well is that the quality of the league. And that's one thing we, we wrote about Jimmy VC last year because everyone thought that Jimmy VC, you know, he won the Hopi Baker. Everyone thought that he was going to be like Johnny Gaudreau or like uh, Jack Eichel, and he wasn't. And the reason why we wrote that he wasn't, well, first of all, is he broke out at a later later age than Goudreau and Eichel. They were effective, you know, right at 18, whereas, uh, you know, VC didn't break out till a little bit later. And the second thing, of course, is VC was in a weaker division, the the, the ECAC, the ESAC, whereas, uh, you know, I think uh, was it Hockey East that Johnny Goudreau and Jack Eichel were in? It's a, it's a stronger division. Yep. It's a stronger conference. And so you have to take the strength of the conference into account. You have to break down the age. And I'm also glad the way you set up this entire question as well. I mean, you can read everything I've ever written on translation factors or the projectinator or the prospect cohort success model or everything that we've ever written about and done in the field of hockey analytics. You could read it all and you would not be properly equipped. You still need to listen to Bob McKenzie. You still need to watch it yourself. You still need to talk to the local pundits. You still need to go to Corey Pronman. You still need to go to TSN and Sportsnet. You still need to get all those other perspectives. If you just read this perspective, you're not sufficiently equipped. You're not, right? But by the same token, I'd say that about Bob McKenzie. Brilliant man, gives you tremendous insights on the prospects, perhaps unequaled insight on the prospects. But I think if you're only listening to Bob McKenzie and you're not looking at the numbers, I also think you're not fully equipped. So I'm glad you laid out the whole question in that fashion because uh, really the way I've written this chapter, it's basically you take what I've written and you plug it in to what you've heard from Bob McKenzie and others. Well, and you mentioned the the late birthday and breaking down production based on month and how important it is to to factor that into the equation because a guy born in September one year and then August the other, it's going to be completely different. They're almost a full year apart. Um, and I think the casual fan is catching on to uh, that that importance of, of, of thinking about birthdays in terms of scouting. But I don't know with 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 actual statistics if people have really caught on and gone, oh, this guy's actually very young compared to his peers. So him putting up 80 points in the OHL is actually pretty amazing. Like I know Nick Suzuki, drafted by the the Vegas Golden Knights, uh, he had very good underlying numbers, or I should say, fancy stats or analytics, because a part of it was. This guy was super young compared to his contemporaries, but you wouldn't know it because they're all part of the same draft class. It all depends how far you want to go. I mean, at the very minimum, take a look at a player's age in terms of the years, 18, 19, 20. You don't really have to do that beyond age 22 or 23 or so, but up until that age, consider every year very, very differently. 
And if you have the additional motivation, then you can start looking for those that have the late birthdays and considering that. And of course, if you're really into this stuff and, and you're really a junkie for this stuff, then you can start looking at the exact month and you can look at the difference between, you know, uh, March and April. Because, uh, you know, as silly as it sounds, there will be a statistical difference even in one month. It's, uh, it's quite remarkable. And then on the other side of, of the spectrum in terms of age is a guy like Vadim Shipashev. So he's also a Golden Knight. He's actually probably going to be one of their best players on opening night. He's coming over to the NHL as a, a 30-year-old rookie from the KHL, a free agent. And these translation factors are great when you look at it in, from, from his perspective because he has eight full seasons of, of European hockey behind him. So it's not like this is a season in, in, uh, in college where you're going, this sample size is so small, I don't know how useful it is. It's like, no, you have eight years um, of him playing overseas, playing against stiff t- competition, playing a lot of minutes, playing on good teams, playing on bad teams. So I thought he was a great example of, of you guys busting out uh, you know, the context or, or breaking through the barriers of, hey, so we know that this guy is Russian. We know he's coming over. We know that he's highly touted by scouts. But what, what's the deal with his stats? Yeah, a lot of what we do in Hockey Abstract, uh, one of our legacies is that whenever we look at individual players, we look at three seasons worth of data, not just one. A lot of people like to think in terms of like one season um, when you look at individual players. That's not enough data to judge a player. So we always look at three. Uh, sometimes we wait the seasons, but you know, where the more recent season has more weight than the one three years ago. But we would look at three seasons. Now the problem is there's a lot of players we don't have three seasons worth of data. And that's actually where this translation process can come into account because Shipachov does have three seasons. In fact, he has a lot more than, than three seasons. Uh, it just happens to be in a different league. Well, based on all the other players that have come from the KHL to the NHL, we've got a pretty good idea of sort of what to expect uh, based on his KHL scoring totals. For instance, most of his career, he was, uh, you know, his general upside was in that 60 to 65 point range. Last year, on the other hand, he was on a powerhouse St. Petersburg team. They had Datsuk, they had Kovalchuk, they had Voinov, the powerhouse team. And he got sort of the NHL equivalent of about 90 points, over 90 points. Now, if you were to go to a powerhouse team in the NHL, like if you were to go play with Patrick Kane, like our Tommy Panarin did when he came over, or for some reason went to Pittsburgh to play with Crosby or Malkin, then it is possible he could get 90 points. Um, however, that's not the case. He's going to an expansion team. He's playing with James Neal and Jonathan Marsh or so uh, in all likelihood. So chances are his old career level of 60 to 65 points is probably ambitious enough. Being on an expansion team is probably going to be a little bit lower than that. But still, uh, that's the sort of information that we can use. We can use this KHL data almost as reliable as, as if he had already been in the NHL. Yeah, and the KHL gets uh, serious credit from uh, these translation factors. They're actually considered, based on, on this evidence, uh, the second best league in the world. So it goes NHL, KHL, SHL, which is a Swedish hockey league, then the AHL, then Finland's Liga, and then it gets into some college conferences, Switzerland slides in there, some more college, then OHL, WHL, QMJHL, and ESAC, as you uh, alluded to, Jimmy Vesey's uh, former conference. So, it, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a total hockey nerd, so I, I even liked the chart showing the breakdown of the different leagues and how, uh, you know, players coming over from those leagues, how have they fared in the NHL. It shows up in this in this chart showing, you know, KHL number one, and then it goes all the way down to uh, – 
a week college conference? Well, well, actually, it's in a it's in a table. But one of the reasons I'm glad you brought that up is because I probably should have put it in a chart, like in a graph <laughs> chart table, same line. thing. Because that that's where everybody is going uh, these days. Like um, years ago, uh, if you don't mind this discretion, uh, uh, digression. No years worries. Ago, there, we didn't have any charts. Uh, we had, I mean, we had shift charts. The NHL revealed shift charts in around 2003. Right. And we had those heat maps, uh, you know, where all the shots take place. You know those, right? We had the heat maps. Yeah. And then, of course, I came out with the player usage charts in 2011. And at the time, those were the only charts, right? And everything else we did in tables. Like, everything was tables, tables of numbers. And you're just reading a table, 3.5, 3.7, and it just was so hard to wrap your walnut around it, you know? And then... Player usage charts, I think, you know, not to give myself too much credit, but player usage charts, I think, really started to kick off a new way of doing things. I mean, Benjamin Wendorf, Ben Wendorf kicked off a website called Hockey Visualized. It's not there anymore, but then he co-founded Hockey Graphs, which is sort of the, right now, I believe, the leading source of some of the more cutting-edge research that's being done. And uh, and then, of course, we've got uh, those hero charts by Dominic Gallimini. I mean, he updates them every year. Uh, All the websites started having chart functionality in it, whether it was War on Ice or Corsica Hockey. And, um, and of course, people like Micah Blake McCurdy, I mean, they, they roll out yep. you know, fascinating new innovations, new charts, new visualizations, um, you know, every season, a bunch of them. So, you know, I really wish, in hindsight, if there's a couple things that could have changed about Hockey Abstract, even though I just released it, is I actually would have, you know, replaced a lot of the tables with, with charts. I know I already have a lot of charts in there, but this is an example of a of, uh, of something instead of a table, I could have had a bar. You could have seen the bars going across, and you could actually see just to what extent the KHL, uh, you know, how strong that league is compared to all the other leagues. And you can see the gap between them. I think that would have been a more powerful way of of, uh, of putting it in the book. Uh, wouldn't you agree? Well, I'm sure you'll produce another version of it. So there you go. Draw it down, and then. Next time you go to, to start putting a hockey abstract together, that's that's number one. Ch- more charts. <laughs> I think people really love the charts. It's, it's easier to pick things up than just a, a table of figures. And, and, of course, we do have a lot of charts. But, um, uh, you know, here's an example of where we probably could have had more. And you know, I even have this vision. But part of it, you know, is the, the restrictions of self-publishing. I mean, it's, uh, oh, you yeah. know, it comes at, a, yeah, at an expense having additional charts. And it's hard to get it of sufficient quality, get it printed properly just because it's self-publishing. I'm doing all on my own dime and just barely pulling a profit sometimes. So, but in the long run, I would love to have the resources where instead of just what, you know, what you're holding in your hand, we actually have something more magazine-like where it's, you know, colorful and, and there's, and there's pictures of the players and it's, and there's, you know, it's not just black and white and gray, but there's all these different colors and all these different charts. I'd love to have the resource to do something a lot more fun and bright and exciting. Uh, but, you know, that's who I am. I'm never happy with what I've done. I've always, I always want to crank it up a notch, and I certainly hope that someday we get to that point. But in the meantime, uh, I think everyone will enjoy uh, what we're able to do here with Hockey Abstract. Oh, absolutely! And one of the other chapters that I was very intrigued by was one about who the best clutch scorer is in the NHL based on the last three seasons, and. The reason why I liked it is because normally this is something reserved for a bar, a bar chat. You know, you're 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 at the bar, you're watching the game, and all of a sudden this this topic comes up. Who do you think's the most you know clutch player in the league right now? And then guys are throwing out names, but it's it's so anecdotal or it's so 
based in maybe uh, a bias, uh, you're, you know, the guy on your team or the guy that, that scored on your team, you're going to remember that guy a lot, a lot better than, uh, you know, someone playing for an obscure team. Um, so you guys dug into it and you really, you poured on a bunch of layers uh, in regards to weeding out what was important, uh, what was, what was unimportant to include uh, as you guys tried to figure out who was the best clutch scorer. Um, many steps in the process. Um, but at the end of the day, uh, Alex Ovechkin, uh, believe it or not, became uh, the leader in, in your chart and in your table. Uh, and I guess that's not surprising, but it, it's sort of a, a feather in the cap for, for the pro uh, Ovechkin people because there's a lot of uh, fans out there that just think, oh, the, the Capitals have not gone far in the playoffs. It's Ovechkin's fault. But you know, if you if you do any sort of background research, you know that he's been great in the playoffs, and and this sort of chapter just underlines that not only is being great in the playoffs, he's been clutch in the regular season, and he's just been well, he hasn't been the problem in Washington. I guess that's the <laughs> the moral of the story here. Yeah, I'm definitely in the um, um, Alex Ovechkin is not to blame camp. I think he's a fantastic hockey player. In fact, we even have a little section or Q and A chapter at the back where we explore you know, just why Washington hasn't succeeded in the playoffs despite being such a strong team. Um, but there's a few things I like about the clutch shooting chapter in particular. Number one is I love, uh, you know, coming up with creative ways to look at problems. I mean, people always thought that, you know, there's some things you just can't use stats for, like clutch and grit and shot blocking and hits. But over the years, you've noticed in our books, we take a run at these. And maybe we're only adding a little bit to the conversation, but we try to come up with creative ways just to add something to the conversation, add some new perspective, add a little bit of objective insight, a little bit of fun to it, even if we can't solve the entire thing. And the other thing I really love about this chapter as well is um, you'll notice that you know one of the one of the basis of, of the model that's used is taken from an old uh, Stan and Shirley uh, Fischler book from 1986 called Breakaway, which was uh, one of the earlier hockey stat books. I mean, there was the hockey compendium that same year. There was total hockey in 99. And so there were a bunch of, I guess, predecessors, for the lack of a better word, to hockey abstract in the 80s and the 90s that a lot of people aren't aware of. And so I just love, you know, paying paying homage to, to these um, to these early pioneers. Um, people also often call me, you know, the, one of the pioneers or one of the long-time godfathers or whatever, whatever they're calling me. But there were there were authors that I read when I was a kid that inspired me. And so I just love the opportunity to bring that stuff out. And, and maybe uh, some people that read that chapter in Clutch Scoring will go on eBay and try to track down their own copy of some of these books. And I highly recommend that they do because they, they certainly inspired me and they certainly inspired this chapter. First of all, I think you're more the cool dad of hockey analytics. I don't think you're you're your godfather because, I don't know, it just doesn't suit you. You're not old enough. And I know you you have been around the movement or or, or the culture um, the community, whatever you want to call it, for a long time, one of, one of the first guys in, but it just doesn't seem right because you're still around and you're cool dad because, you know, you, you're authoritative, but not a jerk about it. You're, um, you're keeping tabs on everyone. You're trying to promote uh, young people who are, are trying to make a, a name for themselves in the community. Um, and you're just respectful. Um, so it's, total, it's a total compliment, I promise. But, but in my mind, you're the cool dad of the community. Well, that's a lot better uh, than uh, I, I think I told you the story in one of our failed versions of the podcast. But I was at the Ottawa Hockey Analytics Conference, and it was Mike Shuckers or something like that that 
I think that maybe first referred to me as, you know, the, the one of the godfathers of hockey analytics. And it was either Matt Kane or Eric Parnas. I can't remember who, but they said he sounds more like the Grandpa Simpson of hockey analytics. <laughs> so, Just yelling at a cloud, I guess. Yeah, yelling at a cloud and, uh, you know, me tying an onion to the belt because that was the fashion for the day. And, you know, it was the... Because uh, sometimes my stories, I'll admit, sometimes my stories get a little bit uh, off the beaten path, just like Grandpa. They tend to ramble. And some of it doesn't really sound like it's accurate, so it's. Uh, uh, I'm sure it was, uh, it was a friendly uh, title as well. Yeah, and we're rambling a bit here to get back to the the clutch debate. So when when I started this chapter, I was just thinking, you know, just sort of in my own head, okay, who's clutch? Obviously, I thought Ovechkin, um, maybe Patrick Kane, uh, Sidney Crosby, obviously, all the the different moments that he is. Um, produced for international reasons and uh, his club. Um, Ricard Raquel last season scored like, I don't know, 11 overtime goals or something like that. So I was thinking about him. I was thinking of Fernando Prasani, the former Oiler, who just ruined the playoffs the one year, uh, scoring these shorthanded goals, scoring these overtime goals. When he was just a grinder, it was completely out of nowhere. So he came to mind. Justin Williams came to mind. So, And then, and then I see the initial table. And uh, it, it has Ovechkin number one, Crosby number two, Tarasenko number three, uh, Kane four, and then Ben. And then so, like I explained earlier, you guys take out information, you add information, you take out context, you add context. And at the end of the line, the final table, sort of the, the concluding table saying these are the clutch guys. Uh, Ovechkin led still. Tarasenko had moved up to number two. Brad Marchand, who was very good at uh, the World Cup and, and scored the, the game-winning goal there. So maybe I should have thought of him earlier. But uh, he was number three, Crosby four, and then Joe Pavelski, number five. So um, I found it interesting how guys you know would move up and down the lineup, uh, but some guys uh, would stay. And, and maybe that says a lot about about what they do you know on, on the surface level and uh, what they do when you really dig into the numbers. Yeah, I think Jeff Skinner really shot up the... Uh the charts as well and you know one of the things i also liked about that chapter is uh, uh we we're also able to highlight some of the other work people are doing uh, as well you notice that they refer to the more hockey stats website and and also some of the work of was it steven Pettigrew? um but um you know that's the other thing like what the chapter is highlighting some of the other work and so if you're really interested in this you can go off and you can uh, you know check that work for more but i also remember when i was young and i first read um the the system the breakaway system that was written by Stan and Shirley Fischler and applied the original system when I was a, a boy. I remember Owen Nolan. Do you remember Owen Nolan? Oh, yeah. Uh, he played for the, I think he played for the Sharks at the time. Like he started with the Nordique, I believe, went to the Sharks. And I remember his score uh, from this clutch system was, was also obscene. And I think when you think back to clutch scores of, of years gone by, uh, I mean, Owen Nolan doesn't jump immediately to the top of your head, but when I mention his name, it certainly sounds right, doesn't it? Yeah, well, he's got that memorable all-star goal, too, which is clearly, it means nothing, but that came to mind where I'm like, he was, you know, he was showing off there, but it was, it was clutch because all the pressure was on him. Uh, I can't remember what all-star game that was, probably, uh, I don't know, almost 20 years ago now, but yeah, Nolan was uh, was a guy who, who moved around from a couple teams um, obviously Paul Henderson is, is the kind of holy grail, at least for Canadians in regards to clutch, not necessarily over his career, but the 1972 summit series, um, trying to think of other guys that come to mind, who, who comes to mind? Because it's fun to even just talk about, you know, our, our base level memory of clutch, um, and see if it registers, uh, you know, in your book. 
Well, I certainly remember Glenn Anderson. Um, so, you know, Paul Henderson and Glenn Anderson were both of them. Anyone that ends at Anderson. And, <laughs> and also um, Claude Lemieux. Oh, yeah. I remember Claude yeah. Lemieux was, uh, was also a clutch playoff performer as well. So, uh, you know, yeah, there's a lot of people, you know, maybe other names are popping to people's heads as they listen to this. But, uh, and, you know, a lot of this system that we built can be applied throughout history. So it would be nice someday to actually be go and, and run the numbers all the way back to the 67 expansion and maybe start comparing Glenn Anderson to Owen Nolan to Claude Lemieux and, and, and maybe have like an ultimate face-off and try to find sort of the ultimate clutch score. Well, and I know that, you know, being a clutch scorer doesn't necessarily mean you're the all-time leader in, in overtime goals. It involves, you know, game-tying goals, insurance goals. Uh, you know, I, I know I know that catching, or sorry, starting a chain of goals is also factored in. So Jeff Skinner ranks highly there where if, you know, Carolina is down 3-1, he's probably going to score in the number two. Maybe he'll score number three sort of being that catalyst that also uh, gets involved um it, we're, we're, is Skinner one of those guys that 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 you were surprised by or like he's a hard guy to read because he plays in a, a market that doesn't get a lot of coverage isn't on national TV a lot but I mean the guy scores uh, Skinner is a very underrated player um, first of all he's really the only true top six scorer that Carolina's had. Um, other than Eric Stahl over the years, over the recent years. And uh, he's on a kind of a low-octane team, and yet he does very well. And there's other areas where he contributes as well. Like, for instance, consistently, he's one of the league's best at drawing penalties. So if he's not scoring that clutch goal, he might be drawing the clutch penalty. And uh, so there's, you know, Jeff Skinner is like one of those underrated players. But, you know, keep your eyes on the Carolina Hurricanes. You know, when the Nashville Predators, uh, you know, made the Stanley Cup, a lot of people, you know, held up, last year's hockey abstract update and pointed out that I said Nashville in the Stanley Cup. And I've been saying Nashville for years to the point where some people would tell me to, to take it easy because I was uh, being a little bit too passionate about Nashville over the years and the direction they were going. Well, if you want to know the next team uh, that, that we're all very passionate about, that we're excited about, it's the Carolina Hurricanes. I mean, they've went about constructing what could be the league's best blue line in a few years. They've made some excellent choices with regards to their cap. They've done a great job with their roster construction, good organizational strength. Um, you know, they brought in Scott Darling as the goalie, which I think is a is an interest. It's certainly a worthwhile, interesting experiment. And, you know, and also those of us in the hockey analyst community, we also know that they hired Eric Tolsky, who was one of the most brilliant among us. In fact, I really can't think of anything that I can do that Eric Tolsky can't do as well. Uh, and he can do a lot more. So, Really, I think the Carolina Hurricanes are one of the teams to watch. I'm not saying they're going to break out this year, uh, but they might. And they certainly, I think, will be. You can, you've, you've heard it here from me. They will be in the Stanley Cup final in the next few years. I mean, that's, that's the way I feel about it. That's a, an odd coincidence because I talked to Ron Francis yesterday for a story. I'm talking to Bill Peters um, within a couple of days. I'm going to write a story about the Hurricanes to leading into the season. So uh, weird timing with that, but... Uh, my main sort of uh, motivation to talk to the two guys was they've quietly gone about their business the last few years. You know, they're they're very under the radar really all the time because because it's the Carolina Hurricanes. But they've flown under the radar, not not having the results that that they would like since Peters and, and Francis came aboard in 2014, not making the playoffs. But they've slowly sort of built this core that 
has a ton of underrated players, a ton of guys who register very highly um, in regards to underlying numbers. Uh, Brett Pesci is is one guy that Francis was uh, was praising over the phone. Um, and up front, Sebastian Ajo is someone who could possibly be uh, a serious breakout star uh, for this upcoming season. So um, I'm looking forward to, to finally sitting down and, and writing that. Um, so... I guess to the listeners, look out for that on torontosun.com. But uh, this is actually perfect because the next thing I wanted to talk to you about was uh, breakout candidates for for this season. And uh, I'll let you go first, um, but here's sort of my criteria. Uh, the player can't be a star right now. Um, he can't be a rookie. So we're not talking about like who's going to be the best rookie and, and breakout in that way. It's more a breakout player, a guy that, that, that has a ton of potential and for whatever reason – just hasn't been been able to seize it, but you have a good feeling about him. I um, I'm trying to remember because we had we had this discussion on our our failed attempt at a podcast. I'm trying to remember who I came up with. I seem to re- recall in terms of some of the bigger names. I seem to recall mentioning Nathan McKinnon. You did um, because uh, you know I feel he's an exceptional hockey player, and uh, uh, you know he had that great rookie season, but after that he's been you know really hasn't scored a lot of points, really hasn't been that effective. But if you look at some of the underlying metrics, uh, he really is a strong hockey player. And I, I think I also mentioned Evander Kane in Buffalo. Um, I understand that there may be some character issues or off-ice issues, but I can't really comment on that. I mean, Matt, you have to talk to, like, the local beat reporter. But when you're, when you're just talking to a statistician like me, I can tell that a lot of his underlying numbers are, are, are quite strong. And, and on defense, I remember I, I talked about Calvin DeHaan of the right. New York Islanders, and that one might be a little bit easier to see. First of all, his his metrics are outstanding, and and if you flip to the player usage chart for the New York Islanders in, in hockey abstract, you'll see what I mean. But on top of that, I mean the New York Islanders they got a new coach with Doug Waite, who really used Calvin DeHaan as as sort of the number two or three guy, really. And um, whereas you know in the past uh, by Jack Capueno, he was just used as a shot blocker. So really, Doug Wade is using him as a more complete defenseman. And with Travis Hamanick, uh traded away to the Calgary Flames, I mean, that clears the path for Calvin DeHandu to really move up the depth chart. And so I'm really going to be watching him carefully this season uh, as far as defensemen go. And uh, uh, and then if, I can't remember, do you remember any of my other names or are those the only three I remember? I ble- you, you were talking about DeHaan last time. And one thing you brought up and, and asked me about was, do you think it's enough that he's going to get more ice time? Like, do you think that that he is bursting with enough potential to seize uh, the moment, so to speak, and and to you know to to you, you look at let's go back to to charts or graphs. Uh, you see his sort of his stock rising, um, and I, I think that's going to happen. I think um, a lot of breakout performances are based on opportunity, and I think he has an excellent one uh, in 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 really in in the offing here and. Uh, and and my my guy and this sort of relates is, is Anthony Mantha. He's the one guy that that I'm looking for and I'm, I'm looking at uh, with the Detroit Red Wings and some of its opportunity um, to relate it back to Dahan. I mean he he has gotten decent ice time, but he's still I think I think Blashill's still not a hundred percent confident throwing him out there in all situations. But another year under his belt, um, you know these these underlying numbers that he has shown. He, you know, and even strength, he was already last year um, a top four Red Wing. So that that's very promising. Um, I like when when the eye test and and the numbers line up. If you watch Mantha play, he's 
He's a big kid, a strong kid. I believe he's like 6'5", um, has a wicked shot, um, seems pretty smart, seems, seems strong in the puck. Um, and, and, and you combine that with, with, with his defensive awareness. And I, I just think that the sky's the limit. This guy's 22, and they're sort of ushering in this new era, quote-unquote, with I guess it'd be you know Manthath and a CU if, if he ends up uh, staying. Um, he's got to come back at some point if he goes to the KHL anyways. Um, and then Dylan Larkin, I expect him to bounce back. Um, so those are kind of the, the three main pieces up front. Um, and I just think Mantha is the crown jewel of, of, of that trio. Yeah. And that actually reminds me of, uh, the other player that I mentioned, because I think the first time you mentioned Mantha, <laughs> I agreed with you because his underlying numbers are very strong. His translated data from his pre NHL hockey was strong. Uh, and he certainly has all the potential in the world to finally unseat Henrik Zetterberg, uh, you know, as, as the team's scoring leader at some point. Uh, but Detroit is in a tough situation, but that reminds me of another team in a tough situation, which is the Arizona Coyotes. And um, and I, I, can, I don't know how to pronounce his name properly. I've looked it up. I talked to someone that worked for the Coyotes. Uh, the best I could come up with is Tobias Reeder, I believe is how you pronounce his name. If not... You reader, a break. reader or writer, it, it's okay. Yeah, Tobias, yeah, writer, reader. Even the Tobias parts, people say it's Tobias <laughs> or, or I don't know. But anyway, he's uh, uh, thus far he was used by Tippett as more of a defensive player, uh, you know, killing penalties. Uh, but he does have a lot more of an upside. He's got excellent numbers. He did great in the World Cup for Team North America. Uh, and there's a real opportunity in Arizona in the top six. Uh, and I think that, uh, you know, reader could take advantage of that. Um He's got a lot of the same underlying numbers, the same things you're talking about, Anthony Mantha, a lot of that applied to him as well. So I think, I believe uh, that he was also one of the players I mentioned last week as well. I think he's, uh, uh, and also, you know, Arizona is just so hungry for, for players. There's going to be a lot more opportunities. Whereas if you're trying to break out on a team that has a lot of other talent, um, then, you know, you stumble once and you're going to lose your opportunity. And so a lot of it depends on the environment. I mean, when I mentioned Evander Kane, if he wants get, if he winds up getting some ice time with, uh, with Reinhardt and Eichel, then sky's the limit. I mean, he could score a ton of points. But if he winds up in more of a defensive role, uh, not that Ryan O'Reilly is a slouch, but if he winds up in a more defensive role, you know, his ceiling is a bit more limited. And likewise, uh, you know, with, with Reader in, in, uh, Ryder or whatever in, in Arizona, it all depends who he plays with. I mean, they've got all those, Really good young players. They've got the rookies like Keller and, and Strom. They've got a lot of young players like Domi and Duclair and, and, uh, and, uh, Krauss and just all these other names that are out there. And there's a lot of opportunities, limited opportunities. Uh, and so if, you know, Ryder winds up on the short end of that stick, then, uh, he's not going to have an opportunity. He's going to have to play effectively and play effectively quickly if he's going to snag one of those opportunities and keep it. Andre Barakovsky is another name in Washington. And you talk about having having the door open for you for a breakout season. Marcus Johansson leaves. Justin Williams leaves. Those are two guys that ate up a decent amount of minutes for the Washington Capitals last year. And, like, let's face it, uh, guys like Tom Wilson, Burkowski, Brett Connolly, they've got to fill this void that is left um, because Washington is so cap-strapped that they couldn't keep these important players. Um so and 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 I and I point to Burakovsky because he has shown in his in his limited ice time over the years that he's a quality player and that he can produce at five on five and that he doesn't need to uh, you know hang on to to a superstar to to put up points he he's done it on his own uh, in a limited role uh, and 
And obviously, it's a little different than Mantha uh, because uh, Detroit, it's slim pickings there. So um, it, you kind of, you kind of, there, there's pros and cons, I guess, to, to being on on a winning team and a losing team in regards to to breaking out because you can have opportunities um, one year and then the next year you're you're playing third line minutes. Yeah, Washington right now is in the same situation that uh, Chicago has been in recently, where uh, they've got a very very strong team. But they've slammed into the cap now. They've slammed into the cap. I mean, they made some decisions, the Capitals, years ago to maximize their short-term window, but a great long-term cap cost. And now that's where they are. Now they're in, now they've hit that cap wall. So they had to do the same thing as Chicago, although without any Stanley Cups like Chicago did. But they had to do the same thing as Chicago. They had to identify which players they're going to keep and then pay them whatever the heck they wanted. And they've done that. Uh, you know, Oshie, Orlov, whatever. And then everyone else, they just let them go. Alsner, Williams, Johansson, whatever, let them go. And then try to fill the remainder of those spots with uh, cost-effective players and rookies. Now, one of the problems in Washington is they don't have any organizational strength. I mean, every time Chicago traded away you know, Andrew Ladd or Dustin Bufflin or whoever, they got a bunch of picks and prospects in return. But Washington, unfortunately, depleted its organizational strength um, over the past few years to maximize the window. And I don't blame them. If they'd won a cup, everyone would agree with what they did. Um, but uh, as a result, they don't have a lot of depth. They don't have the players to fill in and the depth lines, especially on the blue line. And so there's going to be a lot of pressure on a lot of the players, including Burakovsky. But I guess the good news for Burakovsky personally, there's really no risk of someone knocking him off the depth chart. No, There's really no way he's going to be outside the top six, no matter how poorly he might play for a stretch of time or if he gets hurt. So uh, that is one advantage that Burakovsky has. But it's also a warning sign that, you know, Washington might struggle this season depending on just how well they navigated the, the cap problems this summer. Yeah, they're a really intriguing team. Um, it, it, it was not a pretty offseason for them. Uh, if you just look at strictly in and out, um, they retained some guys, uh, signed Oshida some crazy deal. Uh, they paid Evgeny Kuznetsov, which makes total sense, but um, they're handcuffed a bit and maybe a million or so, uh, depending on on how high you are on his future. Um, and then they lose Joe. I think you said Johansson, and I said Johansson before, so it's another name that that we're both sort of all over the place on. I think you're right, though. It's a it's a soft J. Ryan Johansson, Marcus Johansson. Uh, we're having fun with names today, but anyways. Um, yeah, I don't we're... know how to pronounce these names. You know what? <laughs> I just as read a, writer, a lot. I mean, I, as a writer, I usually just write the names. Yeah. A lot of times when I go on the radio, I mean, I cover all 31 teams. So I, I'll go to the website uh, where we have the official pronunciations of all the players. and uh, But sometimes that's not correct. Or I'll ask the local people how to pronounce the names. But sometimes uh, I don't hear it properly or I screw it up. And, you know, it's funny. One thing that happened to me one time, I was... Uh, Doing a, I have a regular weekly spot uh, here in Calgary. And uh, before the playoffs began, I correctly predicted uh, that Tampa Bay would be in the Stanley Cup that particular year. Uh, before the playoffs even began, I predicted a Chicago-Tampa Bay before the playoffs even began. But I mispronounced uh, one of the players' names on the Lightning. And guess what I heard, heard from all the listeners? It was all <laughs> about, he, he doesn't know how to pronounce the names, therefore he knows nothing about hockey. I'm like, I, I called the Stanley Cup. <laughs> but Give me a break. Entire, my entire reputation was ruined because I mispronounced a name. And, and that's how quickly some people would have dismissed you. If you don't know the names, that means you don't watch the games, which means you don't know what you're talking about, which means 
you're, you're full of crap. So yeah, I, I also take it pretty seriously too. I mean, these are the players' names. I just want people to know that when I screw up names, it's not because I'm not watching the games. I watch three or four games a night during the season. It's just that, you know, I, I don't, I'm a writer. I don't often have to say the names. And so that's why I, I sometimes get confused by them. It's a cruel, cruel world out there. Yeah. And so I'm going to let you go now. Uh, I had fun uh, bantering back and forth for the second time. And, and the, the first time we tried to do this, I just couldn't even connect. So um, this has been a long process. But let's talk about how people can, can find Hockey Abstract and purchase it and also how they can find your work online. So why don't you just uh, give us the rundown on, on the Rob Volman uh, company here? Well, if you want to buy the book or, or even just keep up with what I'm doing, uh, go to hockeyabstract.com. That's my website. You'll see a picture of my latest book there. You can click on it, uh, click on the picture there, and then you can uh, buy it. You can buy the physical version, the digital version. Uh, you can buy the French version, and either physical or digital. Uh, you can go back and buy my previous books. You can buy a package of all my books in digital format. And forget about the books, even. You can also click on uh, articles, and you can read all my articles, whether they're at NHL.com, ESPN Insider, wherever they happen to be. All the links will be there. You can also listen to the podcasts and the radio shows and the TV spots that I do. In fact, I'll include a link to this podcast as soon as it's up. Um, you can download all the stats. Everything I ever do, I put the stats on my website. I've been doing it for 11 years. So go there, download the stats uh, from that section. You can also click on the button to follow me on Twitter, which is Rob Vollman NHL, if you want to type it in manually. Uh, there's a lot of tools on my website. Just basically everything you, you really want to know. Uh, you go to my website, I've got links to everybody else's work. I got linked to my work and, and uh, all the stats. So hockeyabstract.com is your is really your one-stop shop there. Awesome, Rob. Thanks for uh, for joining us on Off the Post. Well, thanks for uh, having me on. It's uh, it's always a lot of fun, and I hope uh, hope we can uh, catch up again. I can check in with you maybe uh, once the season gets underway and we can, we can see if we're right about some of those breakout players. Yeah, we'll pontificate again. It's always fun. Yeah. All right, thanks, Rob. All right, cool that out.